Poddo. Welcome to A Pod Too Far, where we relive the days when there were only four channels and one of them was always showing a war film. I'm Robert Hutton and I've got a plan to get 250 episodes of this podcast under the wire and scatter them across the country. With me is Duncan Weldon, who aims to see Berlin from the ground and the air before we've finished. That's right, it's Christmas and we're watching The Great Escape. Duncan, what does The Great Escape mean to you? You're going to claim it's a Christmas movie. Now, I think this is tenuous. This is tenuous. <laughs> it's I'm a British prepared, Christmas I'm, movie. I'm prepared to accept that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I would even, sort of within our wheelhouse, be prepared to accept that The Battle of the Bulge is a Christmas movie. It's set in December. There is snow. This is a film which was shown every Boxing Day when I was a child, but I'm still not quite sure that makes it a Christmas movie. In my mind, it's a Christmas... In my mind, literally, Steve McQueen jumping over things on a motorbike means I'm opening presents. <laughs> if you have a strange view of the nativity, Rob, there's no... <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing is this was the great war film of our childhood, surely. Yeah, yeah, and and... and- and every prisoner of war film which comes afterwards is essentially a derivative of this. It just establishes, so, you know, the first duty of a prisoner to escape. No, it's not. That's a line from The Great Escape, which we now will just think is true. It's not. It's, I mean, it's interesting. It actually wasn't the first prisoner of war movie made. There's Starlight 17, which Starlight 17, which is a Christmas movie, set in a prisoner of war camp <laughs> at Christmas. Starlight 17 opens with a complaint that there are no movies about prisoners of war, which. <laughs> Now feels very odd because after that there were an awful lot of them. There's, there's the wooden horse. There's the Colditz story, classically, which which actually has a lot of elements. And the opening shot of this, I remember when I was watching the opening shot of this for this podcast, I suddenly thought, what I want is a supercut of opening shots of prisoner of war films where they pan up and over the wire and across the huts. Yeah, because that, that we we did that in Escape to Victory. You do that in this one. Probably don't quite do that in Colditz because it's. Yeah. You, you do that in Chicken Run. You do that is, in Chicken yeah, Run, yeah, which, is, <laughs> which is which is this film. Yeah, and I mean, I, what, have you watched Chicken Run with your children? I have, I have, and do I kept wondering. The, I wanted to be watching The Great Escape, but. <laughs> do because there's a whole level of Chicken Run, which is basically Great Escape jokes that past children by. Yeah, because Chicken Run is one of those films which is allegedly targeted at children, but has enough jokes to keep the parents on side. Yeah, so. And my my other problem with this film, actually, as a Christmas film, was that I was never allowed to watch it on Boxing Day because my <laughs> parents always insisted that we go for a long walk across the Yorkshire Dales. So this is one of these films that I sort of seen bits of, and I've seen the end of quite a lot because if we if we really hustled up Penn Hill and down again, we could get back to watch the to watch the final half hour. But I sort of feel like I don't know whether I actually watched it sort of from beginning to end until possibly I was in my 20s. Yeah. A big moment for you, I'm a sure. Big, a big <laughs> <laughs> Made in 1963, John Sturgis has wanted to make it uh, by this stage for a decade, but couldn't get any backing because people didn't think there was any money in Prisoner of War films. No. Um, and then he makes Magnificent Seven and uh, essentially he says they would have let me make the phone book after that. So uh, they were going Which for- might have been more exciting than the first half of this film. <laughs> That's a really... Well, I'm going to challenge that. <laughs> um, it's, uh, they were going to film it in California where they'd found three pine trees together and then um, Sturgis' assistant goes to, goes to Germany and says, actually, 
you know what looks like the Black Forest? The Black Forest looks like the Black <laughs> Forest. So they build a prisoner of war camp. They clear an area of the Black Forest and they build a prisoner of war camp because that's, and that's what, partly what this podcast is about. It's about the days when instead of somebody sitting there with a, a mouse sort of doing all of this on a computer, if you wanted a prisoner of war camp, you had to build one. And they get... So that's 1962. There's a few people about who still know how to do this. Yes. <laughs> well, so in the cast, you've got... Um, uh, Donald Pleasant, who was a prisoner of war, <laughs> the uh, James Cavell, who wrote the screenplay, was a prisoner of war of the Japanese. The um, the Germans, I think, had largely been prisoners of war yeah. of us and the Russians. Um, let's it it it's it become absolutely eternal. It's it's been used in adverts. It it is as you say now the Ur film. I was thinking, what are our what are our moments? You have to come in. I don't think there is a moment in this film where you can sit down. And not think, oh great, I'll just stay with this for the next. I mean, right? I would say right from the opening scene. No, you're yeah, gonna, you're, yeah. Right. I mean, so I think the first half. I think the first half drags quite a bit. It's fun, but it's not. It's not gripping. You know, I can imagine walking in, seeing a few minutes, and walking out again. Whereas once you're into the actual escape, right. then it's all you know, thriller so action. So sort of from the moment of Ives's death or something. Yeah, you're thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But they, but they went to great trouble on that because there is this claim at the start that all the details of the escape are accurate. I mean, it's quite a tenuous claim, isn't it? It's quite <laughs> tenuous. So there's this sort of, there's this, there's this, well, you know, we used composite characters, we created composite characters, but the detail... And then they don't then explain what that is because you might say that Steve McQueen on a motorbike is part of the escape yeah. and that's clearly not accurate. Is it a bit true? Well, uh, you know, there's this wonderful story that at some point in the 2000s, lots of people who'd been in the prison camp were brought back to the prison camp for the anniversary and they watched the film. <laughs> you know, many of them had seen it, many of them hadn't seen it. And the sort of the general the general feeling of sort of former inmates at the um, Stalag was um, the first half, like quite an accurate portrayal of life in a prisoner of war camp and, you know, the, the attempts to escape and the build-up and all the methodology around that. The second half of the film... Yeah, I mean, it's not quite what they recognised from there. <laughs> Which is, I think, why I find, you know, semi-accurate portrayal of life in a prisoner of war camp doesn't necessarily make for gripping cinema. <laughs> I have a, a question about the the decision to, to say at the start, oh, well, this is accurate, because Rogue Heroes, which is on TV as we're recording about the SAS, opens with this claim that this is a true story and... And you know, and the bits that you'll find hardest to believe are are all true. As I'm writing a book about one of the people who features in it, and almost everything about him is made up. For me personally, that's that's simply yeah. not the case. Yeah. You may not be the target audience. <laughs> Would it be better if they just didn't make this? Sort of no, claim? because or- it's, no, because it's a great film. I mean, um, it's strange. It's like all of those debates you've got now about, you know, the crown on Netflix and yeah. how, you know, if, if you're presenting something, you know, something which is presented as drama set in history, I think is different to historical drama. And I think if you're selling this as, you know, this is a dramatization of things that really happened, then you do have to be careful and stick as close as you can to the facts. And, you know, I think there's no problem at all with making a film set in the Second World War. Mm. You know, um, which is maybe tangentially based on real events, but then goes off in its own direction. I think where you run into problems is when you have things like these disclaimers at the front, which I think give this sort of misleading signpost that 
you're essentially watching a dramatization of real events when, I mean, you're not. I've decided that I can enjoy Rogue Heroes so long as I think of it like I think of Gladiator. <laughs> but having decided that, I did then realise that I sat at the end of Gladiator saying I don't actually think it was like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but you, but you can sort of imagine that maybe the, the big battle sequences in Gladiator yeah. are the, 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 might have been what it was like to face the Roman the Roman yeah. Legion, all of that sort of thing. That looks, that looks quite fun. The Great Escape, I like, I like the, the, the way that they open almost immediately. The opening 10 minutes, you get a good who is everyone's character, yeah. which is yeah. not easy to do. Without, without it all being a now for some expositional yeah, dialogue. Know, um, it's, it's, very, it's very elegantly done. These yeah. are the kinds of people... That they are come on Danny and I've got a blitz on this yeah. is it completely sets up yeah. this is what it's going to be like um Steve McQueen yeah enormously McQueen, cool. fantastic uh, enormously and, and cool. it's a film which justifies the length I think you know despite yeah. I think the first half drags at times but it would be a poorer film without it as an overall package you have to show that getting you know that getting 250 people out or getting 70 people out is harder than getting yeah. five people out yeah. and and it is a long film it is a long film. It's um, that's why you can walk up Penn Hill and back and still be back in time <laughs> for the end of it. But um, is anyone harder to work with than Steve McQueen? Have you read about his behaviour on set? No, no, go on, go on. So Steve McQueen's big problem was: Am I the hero of this movie or not? <laughs> and um, and and essentially goes on strike. I think for about a month, and, and while. His screenwriters are brought in to rewrite the script so that he and and they. I didn't realise there was this parallel between Steve McQueen's behaviour on set and the behaviour of his character in the <laughs> film. There's no sort of tangentially involved, but wants to be more important. There's no. And and when he comes, essentially, according to the other actors, sort of when he comes back, it turns out more or less that the script hasn't really changed. But someone has sat Steve down and said, "Don't worry, Steve, <laughs> you are the hero of this film. It's fine." He t- Steve McQueen, really cool, possibly quite hard to work with. Yeah. I, I mean, that was yeah. that was Richard Attenborough's yeah. thing as well. He never worked with anyone who was as difficult, he said. <laughs> How much fun was it to be in a POW camp? Being in a POW camp looks brilliant. <laughs> well, I don't know, like, you know, if the alternative is flying Lancaster bombers over the Reich and breathing anti-aircraft fire, you know, I, I can imagine worse ways to spend the war, to be honest. I mean, there's a... One of the things that this film, I think, completely sets up is the idea of POW camp as sort of like school. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I didn't go yeah. to this kind of school, but if you went to this kind of school, it feels like this is the kind yeah, of school. Yeah, yeah, that it, the, it was, yeah there are know, regiments and routines and, um, you yeah, know, yeah. playing pranks on the teachers. I, yeah. I think that when we were sort of seven or eight, there was a feeling that school was a bit like a prison camp and that... <laughs> That you know that we were the POWs and and there was a sort of kindly headmaster, but mm-hmm. all sorts of goons in between. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I can see that. Your first duty wasn't to escape, though. I hope there's no no. <laughs> no. Uh, Richard Attenborough's character is based on a real person, um, Roger Bushel. Yeah, name is changed to to Squadron Leader Bartlett in the uh, in the film, but it's, that's that's clearly who it is. Who obviously was a bit mad um and actually gives this great speech um in real life apparently which isn't in the the film where basically says you know we we all ought to be dead uh because we've all been shot down we've been given a second chance and we all we you know we have to use this precious extra life to make life difficult for the enemy he hated the germans um he has escaped a number of times he hides out in czechoslovakia uh where 
he has a thing with a woman who then a resistance woman who then accidentally sort of betrays him because uh he sort of revealed to her that his plan is not to come back and marry her after the war <laughs> and um, and she goes and complains to her boyfriend who is it turns out an informer and uh, and i mean no she, she suffers or i think her family members of her family are killed i think so he's he hates the nazis and yeah. And I think Attenborough does him quite well as somebody who's on one side of the madness line or the other. And yeah. You can't but this is, the, this is the weird thing about the film, isn't it? It's the use of these composite characters or just slight name changes. Mm. But then sort of amid it all, you've got the bigging up of the Steve McQueen um, role. And, you know, the weird thing is to sort of to, to give a... Like when you step back, the weird thing from sort of a filmmaking perspective is, you know, to give it a bigger audience appeal in the united states what they've really done is just completely cut out the canadians who were actually a huge part of the um the actual real escape yes. the canadians just gone john's got replace all canadians with americans and big them up i mean there were americans involved in digging the tunnel i think but the americans had moved from the camp by the time yeah. that the, yeah. the breakout yeah. took place whereas, so, whereas an awful lot of canadians who you, you were yeah. just completely well, basically you, america yeah, i mean exactly, you know exactly. who can tell exactly <laughs> <laughs> that um well let's go then immediately to the cooler king award for the most gratuitous american character well it's quite obvious in this case isn't it <laughs> i mean there's no in fact, with his own screenwriters making sure he's got a bigger role. Gets his mate. So his his mate, who was a motorbike stunt rider, he sort of comes in one day and says, would you like to come to Germany for yeah. you know months yeah. and uh, and jump over the wire for me? Yes, I mean, Steve McQueen, Steve McQueen is great. Steve McQueen is the coolest character and Steve McQueen is the person you want to be. Also, you are sort of sitting there watching it as an adult the fifth or sixth time. Why is Steve McQueen the person who's opening the tunnel? he hasn't dug the tunnel but that's the sort of thing isn't he he's this very cool american character who's obviously going to appeal to american audiences but if you're watching this film as a brit what lesson do you take away from it so the brits do all of the hard work all of the planning you know they're the ones like you know forging papers digging tunnels hiding soil whatever um, and then Steve McQueen sort of rocks and up and America steals the show. rock up in yeah. 1942 and, then what, and take the glory. And what happens at the end, we just get this sort of end montage of all of the British characters who've put in all of the work being horribly killed in one way or another, whereas Steve, well, you know, nearly got away, lives to fight another day. Just this chancer who turns up, does none of the hard work, and then sort of gets away with it. Sorry. We so, laugh because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, there's uh, James Garner is um, uh, in it as well. Is it mm-hmm. sort of it, with the great? Actually, actually, this is a great James Garner role, yeah. the scrounger. Who he now he he had been he'd been in the Korean War, I think, and claims that that he was a scrounger for his unit. Though whether we believe that, I, I'm not sure we do. But um, but no, but the the most gratuitous American character. The, the thing is, you could you could live with Hendley. You could live with James yeah. Garner's character as right. Well, they've, they've had to put an American in. Yeah. You know, they've given him this this charming job because he's a charming guy. The Steve McQueen role is just. Um, but it, but it makes the film. But it, but, but it does yes, make the film. But it makes the film. And yeah. and if you didn't have him jumping on a motorbike, which yeah. is definitely not how anyone escaped. <laughs> <laughs> um, who also he has no you know all the rest of them have got uniform and yeah, 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 papers yeah, and all of this yeah. stuff and he's going out in a t-shirt and jeans yeah, fun, fun, and he's fun, just, you know he's just going to make it and sort of, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to bike to the border and Jump then off, the one, off you go 
And then suddenly he's on his motorbike and he decides to get the entire German army to follow him. Yeah, yeah. For yep. reasons that are not entirely clear. For reasons the, of drama. <laughs> <laughs> it, nothing, nothing about Steve McQueen's Steve McQueen's escape works. He didn't. He he. It's incredibly well cut, so that yep. it makes it look like he jumped the wire, jumping the wire, and it, they, yep. insurance people wouldn't have let him jump the wire. I suspect that he would quite cheerfully have tried. Actually. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um. Best death. So I've got Ives or Ashley Pitt or Colin. Yeah, I mean, it's... Ives it's is just, the most depressing death. Yes, I think that's right. I think Ives that's is right. the one I worry about watching this with my children. That, really? That they, would, that they would cry when Ives dies. I mean, I think yeah. I cried when Ives died when I yeah, was Yeah, but, but there's a lot of sort of this sort of sad... I mean, this to me is the really sad thing about the film. You've got all of these people who've put so much effort into this and we've watched their preparations yeah. for what feels like hours... And then it just goes wrong, and they die. Colin, Colin. I mean, I'm I'm inclined to give it to Colin because it's slightly. He thinks he can see freedom. He thinks yeah. he's ready, and he and he goes. He can't see the sniper, obviously. Yeah. Which is, yeah. So, um, yeah. And you know, and he says thank you to Hendley and so on. Ashley Pitt's a heroic death. That's um, um, David McCullum's wife um, left him for Charles Bronson after meeting him on this film, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> <laughs> But he was still very happy to be in it. He yeah, said, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, there we go, there we go. On balance, yeah. <laughs> got him the man from Uncle, I guess. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Speaking about Charles Bronson, so one of the scenes in this actually that I realised has stayed with me is just before their escape. There's the moment where Charles Bronson decides he can't face going through the tunnel again. Yes, yes, All claustrophobic and, and collapse. Yeah, and his friend Willie comes out to stop him and. Why do, why do I think war films are so important? It's because I think that war films told us who we were yeah. in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And, and I think that watching this film in the 80s, watching this moment where one friend risks his life to save another friend from doing something stupid, that's where I watched that and I thought, oh, right, this is, this is, this is who I am supposed to be. This is, you know, I'm, this is a model for good behaviour. And I don't know whether that's how how yeah. we did behave during the war. But that, and then right next to it, you've got you've got Hendley saying, Colin's not blind if he's with me. Yeah. No, 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 but this is the thing. It's that. a film about comradeship, and it's, and it's a very untypical Charles Bronson role. Yeah. This sort of strange moment of vulnerability, um, which I think is one of the things that lifts the film. Yes, yes, playing completely against type. Yeah. Um, as somebody who's scared. And it, and he's really good at being scared in yeah, the tunnel yeah, as well. Yeah. When he's in the tunnel, you think, you know, get him out. <laughs> 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 he's going to blow the whole thing. But, yes, that that, that sort of, that that feeling that, you know, that, that what we ought to be is people who are willing to sacrifice ourselves yeah. to, to save our friends. I think that's, that's a moment where actually it does lift this film yeah. above the ordinary. Best meme... I call this the good luck award for best meme. And the best meme is surely the SS man saying good luck. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's no competition here. <laughs> well, you say that. So the one I've always <laughs> wanted, the, the gif I've always wanted, and I, well, I can never find... talk about a film and you haven't found... There's not a gif you've wanted somewhere. There's a gif... If there, any listeners are good at making gifs... <laughs> yes, <laughs> my fantasy listener is out there gifing <laughs> each week. After, it's uh, it's uh, Richard Attenborough saying, open up, Harry, we dig round the clock. <laughs> and, and I'm going to have to stop you there. When would you use such a gif? I I think it's something I used to say when you know <laughs> when we had a lot of words to write all at once. I think that's um, 
stiffest upper lip. Can't give this to an American. They don't know. They, they're, they're all all over the place. But it, it's a film of stiff upper lips, isn't it? I mean, there's yeah. no, you know, it's it's a film of stiff upper lips and comradeship and 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 a sort of boisterous American doing his own thing. That's fundamentally what this film is. I, I'm inclined to go for James Donald, Group Captain Ramsey, just sort of at the end. Yeah, fifty. Okay. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah. many wounded? Yeah. How many wounded? But, <laughs> yeah. but actually, you could almost give it to Von Luger, who's a who, who at this point is more or less only only just holding it together. Yeah, and sort yeah. of, and and has a nice parting line. I think perhaps that you will see Berlin before I do. He says, yes. <laughs> taken, taken off to be shot. Um, nastiest Nazi. Uh, Von Luger is obviously a nice Nazi. Yeah, yeah. So I struggle to find the name of the actor who plays the Gestapo man because. The, the credits on this film are a mess, and even on IMDb, the credits are a mess, and the, particularly on the Germans. But I think that one of these Gestapo men is the model for the Raiders of the Lost Ark Gestapo oh. man. I just think you, you, it's impossible to look at him saying, you know, uh, Group Captain Bartlett, yeah, without uh, thinking of your man in the leather coat with uh, with the burned hand, yeah, and, um, and also taking on and also Jones. your Gestapo men in Allo Allo. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, but again, it's never one of those ways the film establishes the genre, isn't it? You've got you know you've got all of your prisoner of war, um, you know the establishing shot of the camp, all of like the, the the escape committee and all of the routines and all of that. But then also some of your sort of stereotypical later war film characters you know your gestapo man in the leather coat there is a slight there, accent there is a definite move and again we're less than 20 years after the end of the war yeah. and there's a definite move that you pick up in all of these to establish that there were sort of nice nazis and nazi, yes. nasty nazis yes and you know and there were the good germans who well yeah you know they're fighting a war running a prisoner yeah. war camp obviously you can't just let people yeah. escape that's yeah. very much the... and this guy is the baddie you can yes. tell he's got um, a leather coat uh, and there's a there's a lot going on with saluting but, and how you can tell how how bad somebody is from how yeah. leather their coat is and how yeah. how they salute. Judgment at Nuremberg. How many war crimes are committed in this film? I mean, there is an actual. This is actually a film about an actual war crime. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, you, you're killing prisoners, even if they attempt to escape. Open and shut war crime, and so you know the film ends with essentially war crimes. <laughs> and they did. They they hunted them down afterwards. Yeah, they, um, reasonably successfully. Yeah, yeah, but that, yeah. I mean, this thing, you know, one of these things, we call it the great escape. Um, well, sort of, kind of. I yeah. mean, it depends how, how are you defining success? Do you think that this is a... Is this a war film or is this a caper film? Because... Oh, I, I, I think you're right. I think, I think this is actually what I think about. This is a caper film set during a war. I mean, it's got all of sort of the elements in some ways of a bank heist movie. Yes, it's, it's about it's about it's about the planning leading up to the event, and that's actually you, what the, the assembling the team. Yeah. Everyone, everyone is a generic person: the gunman, yeah. the night, yeah, you yeah. know, the, the the forger. The, and actually, at the end, they are the forger. Yeah, you know, the manufacturer, yeah. the tunnel king. Yeah, I think this might actually be a, a 60s paper film, which happens to be set in the 1940s. Which brings us to the music, which is the reason why I thought this is it. It's quite. Caper music, yeah, you know, it's got a bit of martial stuff. It has become incredibly um, evocative that music, and sort of, I mean, it's England football again. We're recording this during a World Cup. Well, what what is that tune saying to us? 
I don't know, but in some ways it's a very appropriate sort of England World Cup song, isn't it? That, you know, lots of planning, lots of hopes, lots of expectations is always going quite well, then all falls apart at the end. I can see why England yes. fans have latched onto it as their go-to <laughs> tournament. Uh, yes, track. and it's the sort of thing you play it when you're 4-1 down. Yeah. Because somehow you might get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> There's no real problematic moments in this, I think, but there aren't absolutely no women. None, none. Not only, just, I don't even think you see a woman. Maybe you see one on the train. Perhaps. Were there Perhaps. any women in Germany? It's just, <laughs> you don't see women, you don't see a woman in Paris. Yeah, you, know, but, you could but, easily but, have had a woman the, at the cafe. For most, yeah, but for most you know? of the film, it, 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 this is one of the ones where for most of them, it makes sense. Yes, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, completely, completely. In, in the camp, that's yeah. all men, that's fair enough. Yeah. In All men, guarded by men, all good. Yeah. But... But yeah, you could easily have had a woman at uh, the resistance line. The resistance lines that yes, were the MI nine lines that were taking yeah. escapers out. You know, certainly had plenty of women in them. It's yeah. it's really interesting that no one in the early nineteen sixties seems to have looked at the yeah. cast list and said, yeah. "Could we could we just write one in?" <laughs> but, um, given given we're writing a motorbike scene in for yes, Steve, yes. you know, a motorbike. Can we <laughs> can we have a woman? <laughs> Um, which brings well, so we've we've talked a bit about how much they made up. The interesting thing I learned uh, researching this actually is that although the sort of the they're shown blackmailing the guards, actually some of the German guards sort of helped. were helpful. Well, helpful, yes. yeah, the, 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 the forgery, like the idea you can forge semi-authentic, you know, German um, documents in a prisoner of war camp. I mean, it's quite hard. So the fact there was an awful lot of help from members of the German resistance and the guards smuggling it in to get these forged documents, which is just sort of ignored from the film to give the agency to the to the prisoners do we understand why they were doing that or they were just anti-nazi or yeah just a general anti-nazi germans who were trying to be helpful duncan is this the operation that changed the course of world war ii no <laughs> no it's it's it, it's you know one as we've discussed this is a this is a very fictionalized version of the operation but you know i've also stepped back you know sort of the internal logic so, mm. of these sort of captured airmen, um, certainly in the film and in some cases, no doubt in real life, was not to escape to get to freedom, but to escape to cause problems and tie down German resources hunting for them. Yes, this is what we. This is what you said in my school books in yeah. the eighties was that this was this is why you had to do this. Yeah, exactly. But um, but you've got to ask yourself really, how many resources does it really tie down? Like you know, a few dozen airmen on the run. I mean, you know, this is not this is not a huge diversion of German resources into the into people, hunting. The people them. who are doing the airmen hunting are not the people who are doing the the defending the beaches at Normandy. Yeah, exactly. So it's all you know. Yeah. So no, I, I don't think this is the one that changes the course of World War Two. We'll find it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Worth dying for. Does this film stand up to repeated viewing? You know, I, yes. think, yeah, I think it actually does. Yes, it I does. think it does. Yeah, yes, you, you, more really enthusiastic does. there from than from me, but yeah, I think it does. It does. Um, you know, so this was the, when I rewatched it um, last week. It was probably the first time I'd seen it in about oh ten, fifteen years. And you know, you remember every scene. Yeah. Once you get going, it's like you know, one of those songs you hear, and then suddenly the lyrics come back into your head. Um, no, it does. It does. It is a good film. It is an enjoyable film. I don't think it needs to be well. <laughs> It's a film where if I walked in and it was halfway through, I would just sit down and enjoy yeah. it. But I'm not sure it's a film I would choose to put on from the start. I have to say, I did cook dinner 
while watching the first half because you can if you know it yeah you can you can do other things yes but yes so there we are the great escape you can cook dinner in the first half second half's brilliant duncan and i are gonna jump on our motorbikes now and make a break for the border that final neither us are americans so neither of us are going to make it anywhere near the border rob that's the lesson of this film (laughs) The thing, actually, that Who's I noticed... this guy that's just turned up with his own bike? He'll probably be fine. <laughs> He'll go. <laughs> the, the fi- we, but when we're caught, we will make that final grasp for freedom. That's actually, that's one of the motifs of this film, is Steve McQueen does it, Gordon Campbell does it, Donald Pleasance does it, just the, the arm out. And so, arm out, we'll say farewell for this week. That was A Pod Too Far with me, Robert Hutton, and Duncan Weldon. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, and if you liked it, rate and review us. You can drop us a line at podtoofar at gmail.com or on Twitter at podtoofar. If you want to watch along with us, next time we're going to Greece for the Guns of Navarone. 